Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. We are finishing a series this weekend titled Without You. And what we've been talking about the last month or so is what the church looks like without you, and really what it was designed to look like with you. So we're looking at both uh, sides of the coin, and this weekend we're talking about outreach. And the title of the message is, Without You, We Don't Reach As Many. Without you, we don't reach as many people. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start there. It's the only place I'm going to ask you to turn, but we are going to cover a ton of ground scripturally in this message. Uh, So I'm only going to ask you to turn to one place and you can write down a bunch of the passages as you keep up with me and read along with me on the screen. I want to make a statement at the beginning of this message that might catch some of you off guard. And here's the statement. I want this church to be huge. I want this church to be huge. Now, some of you, that statement makes you flinch a little bit. I hate big church. I've never understood that phrase right there. I hate big church. Here's why. If you hate big church, doesn't that mean you're going to hate big heaven? I hate big church. Well, what do you want it to be small? You want the body of Christ to be small? Do you want heaven to be small too? I want this church to be huge. Well, how huge? I'll tell you how big I want this church to be. As big as God will continue to bless it. As long as God will continue to bless it, I want the church to keep growing. And you're going to see why in this message. Well, Preston, throw out a number. What I mean, how how huge are we talking? Okay, I'll give you a number. 500,000. How about them apples? 500,000. There's a good number. Here's what that number represents to me and in my heart. I've set a goal in my heart that by the time I die, that our church personally ministers to 10% of whatever the general population of the valley is. Now, if that's somewhere between five and six million right now, that would mean somewhere between five and 600,000. That doesn't mean an actual attendance. That would be like a mega, 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 mega church. Uh, But I'll give you another number, 50,000. In order to annually, personally minister to half a million people, it's probably going to take 1% of the general population to do it. Now, to some of you, that sounds absolutely unrealistic. Thankfully, I've grown up reading a very seemingly unrealistic book that is full of divine realities. You can call me whatever you want. I I always have a phrase that comes from one of my favorite movies. I don't care what you call me, just so long as you call me. Even if you call me crazy. Listen, I'm going to die trying to touch as many people in this valley as I possibly can. And I'm going to try and build up a group of people who feel the exact same way. 
Now, I'm not talking about building up the church. Jesus said that's his job. But I am going to try and rally a, a troop, an army of people who will go out, not just come in, but will go out. The point of coming in is going out. So we're talking about outreach today. And I want you to see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'm going to tell you before I read this to you, this message has some strong moments, okay? I preached it to myself several times this morning, and I was convicted personally by this. There are some strong moments in this message, and let me help you understand why. Let me talk to the parents for a minute. Parents, how many of you would say you have family values as a family? Would you just put your hand up? We have family values. Okay. If one of your children chooses not to live out the family values, would you, A, choose to do nothing about it, or B, have a very lovingly truthful conversation with them? Of course, most, if not all of us, would say B. Here's the reason why there there are some strong moments in this message, because we're talking about one of the values of the family of God. And I'm going to read this to you out of the message translation because I like how it says this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. All praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. This is what outreach looks like. The, the word in 2 Corinthians 1 there in verse 4 is affliction. That when we have experienced affliction, God was there and is there to comfort us so that when we see others in affliction, we are able to comfort them with the same measure of comfort God has given us. This is a family value of the body of Christ. And when we choose as believers in Jesus not to walk out the family values, there will always be a lovingly truthful conversation about that choice. Now, in this message, I'm going to ask through these four points, I'm going to ask four questions and these four questions speak to the four big excuses most people use for not doing outreach, all right? These are the four big excuses, and I'm going to ask them in the form of a question. So I'll give you the question and the excuse. Here's question number one. Do you have the heart to help? Do you have the heart to help? The number one excuse, this may not be the most uh, communicated excuse, but I believe it's the number one excuse. And the reason it's not always communicated is because it's kind of harsh. The number one excuse why people don't reach out. I just don't care. I just don't care. I don't care about their hurt. I don't care about their pain. Now, we wouldn't say that with our mouths, but by our actions, many of us are saying it in our hearts. I, I just don't care. Let me show you in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, about closing our hearts. And I just don't care mentality as it relates to those around us who are hurting. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart 
against him. How does God's love abide in him? If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart or says, I just don't care. I just don't care. How does God's love abide in that person? Now, many of us would say, well, I have a heart to help. I don't always help, but I think I have a heart to help. Well, here would be a question that I would ask all of us. How do I make sure that I, as much as is possible, have a heart to help those hurting around me? There's a very simple answer to the question. It comes in the form of a question. You ask yourself this, would I do that for Jesus? When you see someone who's hurting, uh, as 1 John 3 says, when you see someone in need, someone hurting that needs help, if you ask yourself this question, would I do what they need for Jesus? One of the easiest ways to make sure you always have a heart to help the hurting is to constantly ask, would I do what they need if it were Jesus? Would I do that for Jesus? Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 34. Then the king will say, this is talking about the day of judgment, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. None of us would walk by Jesus on a street corner. If we saw someone who needed a shower on a street corner and it happened to be Jesus, none of us would walk past. If we saw someone on a street corner who needed a meal and it happened to be Jesus, none of us would pass by without feeding him. When we constantly live with the mindset, if that were Jesus, would I do what they need me to do? The answer would be yes. For many, if not most, if not all of us, we would say, if that were Jesus, yes. Yes. Listen, if you have a heart for Jesus, you have a heart to help. If you have a heart for Jesus, you have a heart to help. You just have to follow it more. Because if... If you would say, yep, I would do that for Jesus, you have a heart to help. If you have a heart for Jesus, you have a heart to help. Question number one, do you have the heart to help? Question number two, do you have the time to spare? Do you have the time to spare? The number two biggest excuse, uh, I don't have the time right now. I'm sorry, I, I just don't have time right now. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, he just told us that there are some strong moments in this message. He's about to hammer everybody who uses that as an excuse. I just don't have the time right now. Truth be told, I'm not going to hammer anybody 
who uses the words or the phrase, I don't have time right now. And here's why. Because I agree with you. I 100% agree with you. You don't have enough time. Do you know how much time and energy it takes to be you and do what God's called you to do? Your calling is huge, and it takes a lot of time. There's not enough time. But I'm not agreeing because of that. I'm agreeing because the Bible says, listen, there's not much time left. Let me just show you two passages of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. I believe that every time I watch the news right now. The end of the world is coming soon. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 says, time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. We don't have much time. So when we say the words, ah, I just don't have time, you're right. We don't have much of it left, not just in our lives, but on the earth. Jesus is coming again soon. When? I don't know. Truth be told, if Jesus came to me and said, Preston, would it be okay with you if I came back in the next half an hour? I would say, selfishly, Jesus, you know, I really want you to. But if I'm allowed to, please don't come back yet. Don't come back yet. Hold off for just a little bit longer. Can you imagine saying to Jesus, Can you just hit the pause button and give us a little bit more time? Why would anyone say to Jesus, hey, please don't come back yet. I want him to come back, but I don't want him to come back quite yet. I need a little bit more time. Here's why. Because not everybody's ready. Listen, do you remember the story in Luke, uh, I think it's chapter 16, uh, the story of Lazarus, the beggar, and the rich man? And Lazarus, the beggar, dies, and he goes to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man dies and goes to Hades. And the Bible talks about, in that passage, a little bit what hell is like. And this rich man says, could someone please go tell Lazarus, the beggar, the guy I made fun of, the guy I passed by, the guy I never paid attention to, could someone please go tell Lazarus, the beggar, to dip his pointer finger into some water and come touch my tongue to provide me relief. That describes just in and of itself an extremely miserable place. When someone would say, please, can someone just come into this literal hellhole, dip their finger before they come into some water, I don't even care if it's cold, just bring some water, Put it on my tongue and it would provide so much relief. Listen, that's how miserable hell is. You know, I think many of us would be a lot more motivated for souls if we were allowed to spend 24 hours in hell. You know what the rich man says? Because the response is no. No one's allowed to cross this divide. No one's coming with with some water on their finger to give you relief. The rich man says, well, then please send someone to my father's house for I have five brothers who do not know. And the last thing I want is for them to end up here. He was motivated, but it was too late. Why? Because he had experienced the reality of hell. 
I think we would be a lot more motivated and a lot more mindful of how little time we have to help those who are hurting meet Jesus if we really understood the reality of hell. But you know, if I were the devil, what I'd try and do in the last days, I would try and convince people there's no such thing. There's no such thing as hell. The Bible, the Bible God is so overdramatic. There's no such thing as hell. Listen, if you're a good person, good things will happen to you in eternity. There's no hell. That is not true. And I believe if, if we understood the reality of hell, we'd be far more mindful of how little time we have to carry out the responsibilities God has given us to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're running out of time. Sometimes we get so busy on earth with the temporal that we forget about heaven and the eternal. Time is of the essence. And if you say, I don't have time to reach out to people who are hurting, who don't know Jesus. I just don't have time. I've got so much on my plate. I don't have time. You're right. And the reason you don't have enough time isn't because you have too much to do. It's because we're running out of it. Question number three, do you have the energy to go out? Do you have the energy to go out? Excuse number three, that keeps people from reaching out to the hurting. I just don't have enough energy. Ah, I'm, I'm just too tired. I got too much. I'm exhausted. I don't have enough energy. But here's what they're saying. Let me interpret it for you. I don't have enough strength to do everything God has asked me to do and everything on my calendar that even God may not have asked me to do to also do this right here, reaching out to people. I don't have enough energy to do all of that. I'm exhausted just doing what I'm doing. I don't have enough energy to do that. Well, I have a question. How do you know? Because in my mind, what they're saying is, I just don't have enough strength. I don't have the strength to do that and this. Energy involves strength. If we have enough strength, we've got the energy. I just don't have enough strength. How do you know you're strong enough to help someone? Let me read you a verse in the Bible, and maybe you can see how we might know when we're strong enough to help someone who's hurting. Romans chapter 15, verse one. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Now understand the context of this. We're talking about someone who has a a weaker uh, in their minds, whether it's a food issue and, and they're more sensitive to those things. I understand what this passage is talking about. I also believe it applies to strength and weakness literally. How do you know you're strong enough to help someone who's hurting? Here's the answer to the question. When you're not the weakest person on the earth. If you ever find someone who is in a weaker place than you, they just answered the question for you. Do you have enough strength to help someone who's hurting. If you have more energy and strength than they do, you have enough to help them. 
Stop looking at your schedule and and all the things that are wearing you out. If you find someone who's in a weaker place than you, you have enough strength to help. Listen, everybody in this room listening to the sound of my voice is stronger than somebody. You, You may not be the strongest you know, but I assure you, You are stronger than somebody you walk by every day of your life. And if you're stronger than them and they find themselves in a weaker place than you, you have the perfect opportunity to serve them, to help them in their hurting and weak place. Ah, I I just don't have the energy. I I don't have the strength. You know how many things we miss out on in our lives due to a lack of energy? Daddy, can you go play catch with me in the backyard? I'm sorry, son, I'm exhausted. What did I miss out on? Baseball? Mm -mm. I missed out on a possible life moment with my son. Honey, are you in the mood tonight? I'm coming close to home for some now. I'm sorry, honey, I just don't have the energy tonight. I'm exhausted. Did I miss out on sex? Nope. I missed out on the perfect opportunity to come even closer to my wife, to have a holy, divine moment that also happens to be physical. I miss out on it because I'm exhausted. Opportunities at work. I got enough going, I'm exhausted. We miss out on so many things because we convince ourselves we don't have enough in the tank to do them. But you know, I have really good news. If you're here today and you've ever found yourself saying, I just don't have the energy, let me read you a verse and let's talk about it for a minute. Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power, strength, dunamis, Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Isn't it amazing that we serve a God that says, I give strength to the weary. They will rise up like wings of eagles. Those who say, I'm exhausted, I've got good news for those people. I am their strength. One of the things when I was growing up about the phrase charismatic uh, or spirit-filled believer, the, the term charismatic for many years, to me, what many people thought of when they heard that word was, well, those are people who get to experience something other people don't get to experience. But when you really study charisma and you really study dunamis, the whole point of being empowered, of being filled up, is going out. It's not coming in and having amazing worship moments. The reason for those amazing worship moments are one part praising God and another part the tank being filled to go back out and give glory to God. I'm just so tired. I just don't have the energy. 
Unfortunately, this is going to convict some. Unfortunately, when we say, I just don't have the energy to do dot, 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 especially when it involves ministering in God's kingdom on a street corner to someone who's hurting. When we say, I just don't have the energy, here's what probably is the real truth. I am doing things God did not ask me to do, and I am not doing things God did ask me to do. I'm doing things God did not ask me to do. That will exhaust you. I am not doing things God did ask me to do. That will exhaust you. The point of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The very next sentence. You will take this power and you will be witnesses. You will be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now you're going to need power to do it. So don't go with an empty tank. But if you find yourself saying, I don't have enough energy, I don't have enough strength, I'm just exhausted, press in more. He is your strength. We all know we could all quote many verses. When I'm weak, he is strong. Listen, there's nothing wrong with feeling weak as long as you don't stay there. You got to get up and draw near and grab onto the strength of our God. Because there's too much to do on this earth to sit around tired all day long. I wasn't going to mention this in the message, but I, I feel like I need to say this. Years ago, I felt like the Lord said to me one morning, he was convicting me about my lack of prayer time. And I felt like he said, the only thing that's going to stand in the way of you doing what I've created you to do is a lack of prayer. Well, I'm wired in such a way, if you tell me that, you're never going to have to tell me that again. Because I, I, I'm, I hear you, I'm going to change it right now. Well, 10 years or so go by, and this summer, while we were on vacation, I felt the Lord say, you remember the last time I told you that there was something that, would, that could get in the way of you doing what I've called you to do? I said, yeah, absolutely. You said it was a lack of prayer. He said, that's right. Well, I've got another one for you now. The only thing that now will get in the way of you doing what I've called you to do is a lack of energy. It completely recalibrated my thinking. Listen, I get you're tired and you're exhausted. You have a lot on your plate. This week, assess what you're doing that God didn't ask you to do. Assess what you're not doing that God has asked you to do. That's a good starting place. You need the energy, but listen, even more than you needing energy, there are people all across this valley that need you to have energy. We've got to be energized by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this in our own strength. We must be strengthened by the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. Here's question number four. Do you have something to give? Do you have something to give? Excuse number four, I don't have anything to give. I, I don't reach out to people because I, I really don't have anything to give. I mean, we're hurting financially, and so and I don't have any money to be able to give them. I don't even have enough for what I need, and I, I don't have enough energy. I'm exhausted there. I, I can't give that. I, I, 
There are people in our church that are much wiser than I am. I, don't, I, I can't give them wisdom. I don't have anything to give. Okay, I want to ask every person in this room two questions. All right? How many of you have more than one shirt in your closet? Would you put, whoa, 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 put hand up high. Hand up high. Okay. Second question. How many of you have more than one meal in your pantry? Okay, everyone but the college students. <laughs> uh, been there, done that. <laughs> I remember when a meal, we would go to the grocery store when we were in college, and I would buy the four-pack of biscuits for $2, and that was four meals. So if you're in college and you only have one meal, may the Lord bless you and keep you. It won't last forever, okay? If you say, I have more than one shirt in my closet, and I have more than one meal in my pantry, you have something to give. And I'm not talking about your clothes and your food. I'm helping you understand that if you process, when you look at everything in your life that you have nothing to give, I'm trying to help you understand you have more to give than you think you do. I didn't come up with those two questions. I'll show them to you in the Bible. Luke chapter 3, verse 9. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. See, the problem isn't that we don't have anything to give. The problem is that many of us make a choice to neglect doing good with what we've been given. The problem isn't I don't have anything to give. The problem is that many of us just say, uh, I, I just can't. I just can't do good with what I've been given. That's what we're really saying. If we have more than one shirt and we have more than one meal, we've got plenty in our lives. Listen, you've gone through some tough stuff in your life. You've learned some things that the rest of us have not learned. And there is going to be a point in your life when you cross paths with someone who is hurting from the same thing you went through 20 years earlier. And you have the perfect opportunity to help someone who is hurting. But if you choose not to do good with what you've been given, even if what you've been given hurt you in the past, help the person hurting with what hurt you in your past. You have a lot to give. I'm going to give you three things that all of us can give and will be done. Three things. Here's the first one. We all can offer this, eyes to see. We all have eyes to see. Not just talking about literal eyes. Because even a blind person could listen to the heart of someone speaking out of pain and have eyes to see. Hurt is everywhere, but seeing it is the first step to healing it. Let me say that again. Hurt is everywhere. Seeing it is the first step to healing it. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day. Stay warm with no clothes and eat well 
with no food, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Seeing them. There is hurt all around you. There is pain all around you. There is need all around you. The question is not, are you in an environment in the city of Scottsdale, in your place of business, where there is pain or not? Yes, you are. There's pain everywhere. There's hurt on every street corner. There's hurt in every office. It's everywhere. That's not the question. The question is, will you see it when they feel it? Will you see the hurt that they feel? Now, remember I told you that there are some strong moments in this message. This is about to be one of them. What happens if you choose not to see? If when you see need on a street corner and you just decide, nope, nope, I don't see that. When you're at your office and you see the person in the cubicle next to you who you've deemed to be high maintenance and overdramatic, and they're hurting and crying one day, and you in your mind say, don't hear it, nope, 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 don't see it, nope, talk to the hand, don't even see you, you're dead to me. What happens when we make a choice not to see hurt, not to see need? Let me show you, the Bible tells us. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. He who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Here's something else we have to offer the hurting. Ears to hear. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. You might read that verse and say, well, I don't, I don't see anything about ears and hearing in that verse. Share each other's burdens. Listen, you have to listen in order to share someone's burden. I remember the first time I took a group of students when I was the youth pastor in Dallas into downtown Dallas to hand out sandwiches that we had made and, and little meals, uh, lunch sacks, to the homeless. And we had a, a couple hundred uh, brown paper sacks with lunches. And so I'm trying to, to set a good example. I'm trying to take them to as many people as I possibly can. It was the first time I'd ever done anything like that uh, as a youth pastor. So I'm trying to check all the boxes, which is kind of the way I'm wired. And, and instead of thinking about people, I was thinking about process. And so I'm handing out all these lunches. And I tried when I was done to have meaningful conversation, but it was the most awkward conversation that I had experienced. And here's what I learned. They didn't care nearly as much about my sandwich as they did my heart. And when they realized that I was not there to listen, that I was not there to share their burdens, they took the meal from me. They didn't want to share it with me. The next time we went out, totally changed how I did things. I took my three sacks, walked out, sat down with one person and tried as best as I could, not just to have engaging conversation, but to listen. One of the best ways to share others' burdens is simply to listen to their problem, listen to their pain. Okay, here's a good question. What happens if we choose not to listen? Let me show you. The Bible tells us. 
Proverbs 21, verse 13. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. That leads us to the third thing we have to offer to every hurting person. Life. We have real, true, eternal life to offer to every person we encounter that is hurting and in need. I know you know this verse, but I'm going to read it to you. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. We have life to offer. We can help. Now, if I were going through a difficult time, I mean, if I really hit rock bottom as the pastor of this church, and I stood up here and said, listen, my family and I, we're going through a really difficult time. I'm going through a difficult time personally. I need help. I need more than just prayer. I need you to help me. I am confident knowing many of the hearts in this room that you would say, I'll I'll help him. Honey, we're going to help them. I believe that with all of my heart. And I love that about you. But I don't think God is standing next to us right now, sitting next to you, looking at me, asking the question, would you help him if he needed help? Because listen, even if I did need help, when I die, I'm going to heaven. So whatever help I need is more earthly and temporal than it is eternal. I'd love for you to help me. But I think the question God is asking is not, would you help Preston if he needed help? I think the question he is asking is looking out across this valley to many hurting people who do not yet know him, and he is asking, Listen, I don't care if you'll help Preston. I want to know, will you help them? I'm not asking, will you help him? I'm asking, will you go help them? Because if they died tonight, they would not spend eternity with me in heaven. So I just want to know, as your heavenly father, would you help them? Listen, it is the cry of this church's heart. It is not just a goal. It is part of the reason the heart behind this church beats. We're going to help. We're not just going to come in. We're going to be known for going out and helping as many hurting people as we possibly can. And if they don't know Jesus, we're going to do everything we can to introduce them to him. Without you, we don't reach as many people. But with you, I believe by God's grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we're going to reach hundreds upon hundreds of thousands in the days, months, and years to come. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv.